0: Download the
1: Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last.
0: Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply.
1: Welcome back to Better Living. I'm your host, Nick Carissimi, continuing our conversation about hopeful solutions. I just got done with their founder and executive director, Natalie Walton. We now turn to a member, an advocate, a person who's been through it all as far as hopeful solutions is concerned. Her name is Janine Roberts. How are you doing today?
0: I'm great. Thanks for having me.
1: Thank you very much for joining me. All right. So, how are you feeling? Good. I think
0: think so. I think we can do this. You do
1: not seem easily intimidated. I don't think I'm going to have to worry about you getting nervous or anything. All right. So, how long have you been a part of this organization?
0: Um, I've lived with Hopeful Solutions for the last two years, about this time, two years ago, where I actually moved in physically uh, into the program. Coming out of treatment, though, Um, I was with them for about five months before I was able to get placed into an apartment.
1: So you've been with this organization for a long time.
0: Almost two and a half years.
1: Okay. The reason why I have people like you come in for these groups, you always can learn about an organization from a CEO or from an executive director or somebody like that. You don't really, in my opinion, understand an organization. And so you talk to somebody who is a part of it. You've been through this whole process. How does your story start? How would you How would you start your story? Uh, mine starts
0: from going into treatment. I took my two children into Nexus, uh, left a toxic relationship, and uh, wanted to start over. Wanted a new life, and knew what I was doing wasn't working. And uh, Nexus had put me in touch with Hopeful Solutions, and. I began interviewing uh, while I was still in treatment, um, and then I had moved into uh, a homeless shelter with my children, and uh, just kind of waited it out until there was space available. I had been offered a voucher at the place that I was staying with the with the homeless shelter, and you know it was as if God answered me immediately and said, "You need to wait. You need this is what you need. You need the um, the extra accountability." and sobriety and the support of hopeful solutions
1: when you went in in for treatment were you ready to get sober
0: very I had been to treatment several times before it took me about 12 years to actually get sober from the time that I realized that it was a problem I drank for 28 years but the last 12 of it before I actually got sober for good for you know this
1: how old were your kids at the time
0: uh, well, I've got what I've got now an eighteen, um, an eight, and a six year old. Uh, my eighteen year old's lived with her father since she was in kindergarten, and my two youngest, my daughter had turned six while we were in treatment, and my son was four. They're young. But, yes, they're
1: young. All right, you decide it's time for you to finally, actually get sober this time. And for people that are listening that don't know, that's common. Nobody goes to rehab one time. I'm good. That doesn't happen, right? Right. Okay. So now you've made this decision, but unfortunately you are now on your own. It's just you and the kids.
0: Yes. And I made that decision um, on my own. That was not what my husband at the time had wanted
1: us How to How important is it to be able to say things like that and to make decisions like that? Is it common for the people that are a part of social hopeful solutions to not be in that position?
0: Well, I know for me, myself, I it took me a long time to be able to make that decision. And, uh, you know, I, we were taking care of my stepson. We had custody of him um, up until right before I went into treatment because I couldn't take him with me um, to go into a program for women and children. So um, I was held back from when I really wanted to make the change. Uh, so, yeah, it is it's an important You know, to be able to do what you want to do when you want to do it, when you're, you know, when you're using or an alcoholic, you know, whatever the case may be, Yeah, it's very difficult to actually make that jump.
1: Was it exciting? Was it scary? How are you feeling in that moment? Or do you even have a way to process emotions? Is it just survival at that point?
0: It was survival. It was definitely survival. But I was since I was ready for it. This is what I wanted. Nobody was forcing me to do it. Um, you know, I had made that step on my own. Uh, I was very excited, uh, able to talk to the children and, and tell them this is going to be great. You know, we're going to be able to. Uh, you know, mommy's going to get better. We're going to have a better life. And you know, so it eased them as well because I was excited. how
1: how serious of a situation were you in? I, I look at you now. You no one would know that you had or have, I guess this is how you kind of say it, a problem. But at the time, I mean, how how serious was this?
0: Uh, I was very close to death. Uh, If I had not gotten sober, I wouldn't be sitting here. um, I'm an alcoholic, and I was hopeless. I got to the point I didn't care if I woke up in the morning. My children would come to the bedroom to play with me. They would bring their toys in to play with me um, to get mommy time. And on the outside, I appeared to have it somewhat together because I still did their birthday parties. I still, you know, I did, but I could not function anymore without alcohol. Um, I could not get through the night without a drink. Uh, I couldn't wake up in the morning and not reach directly for it. It was always on my nightstand. Um, It was hard to do anything. And I, at that point, I had looked at life and said, how can anybody be able to you know go to a kids football game without a drink in their hand how do they do that
1: were you good at hiding it
0: i thought i was (laughs) (laughs) i don't know that i was i thought i was
1: so you finally make the decision that you're going to go into treatment you have the two kids with you how long of a process is that are you in there for a month are you in there for longer
0: i was in there for 63 days OK, Um, my the insurance, which was through the state, only allowed for X amount of days. It was, I think, was 45. Uh, and the counselors were able to get me additional days. Uh, I held on as long as I could. Finally, they said, you have to make that move. You have to transition out of here. You I know? think
1: that I think that goes back to what you're saying about being serious. Yes. That You were like, hey, can I stay in rehab longer? Which yes. I can't imagine is something that a lot of people actually say. Certainly not ones that don't mean it. Exactly. Okay, so you're in there for 63 days. What now?
0: So finally I went into a homeless shelter, uh, took the children with me.
1: What is that? Talk to me about that decision.
0: Scary. Very scary.
1: And they can't help you at the clinic that you were at? I mean, it's really, look, we even extended your stay here, but now?
0: Well, they, they, they can't do it all for you. And so they give me the resources and then what I do with those resources up to me. Uh, and so that was while I was waiting for hopeful solutions,, uh, that was the most viable. You know, I couldn't go live with my parents. I wasn't going to go back to my husband. I wasn't, you know, I was prepared to start a new life. And realizing that there was going to be fear involved in that was what kept me going because that change, you know, that we have to we have to make the processes of changing and evolving, basically. Um, and so, you know, although I was scared, it was, you know, the same as going into treatment. I was excited. It was another stage for me.
1: How did you deal with the stress of that situation? The, the Kind of the cruel reality of this is a lot of the stuff you're talking about, it's like, I would love to have a drink right now. <laughs> right. I need to relax. It's exactly what you cannot do. Was there something that you did or something that you latched onto? How would you blow off your steam and your stress in that kind of situation. You can't, even, uh, you can't even go into a room and just watch TV by yourself.
0: True. With the kids, you can't do anything by yourself. Um, <laughs> but uh, what I did is I strengthened my relationship with God and I became active in the church and uh, we became a service to the church. And that was something that, you know, I had gone to the church and said, hey, I'd like to, what can I do? Um, and so I became an usher every Sunday and I still mm-hmm. do that now. So I really... It's the relationship with God that really I give it to God. And when I'm stressed out, I know that, okay, what's the pl- I see the plan has changed, and it's not Janine's plan anymore, and so I'm waiting it out kind of thing.
1: Had you been active in the church your whole life, or is this something new that you found?
0: No, I actually had rejected God, which took a lot of energy to reject him now that I look back at it. But uh, until I got into treatment and I really surrendered and I said— you tell me what do I need to do, and my counselor said, "I think you need to get on that van on Sundays and go to church," and I reluctantly I went, and uh, that's a big part of the program of spirituality,
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, and so and that's probably why I had failed so many times, other than I really wasn't ready. Were you to rejecting get
1: that? Because for I mean I'm not sure if it's for all of them, but for a lot of twelve you know, step programs or for anything like this, spirituality plays a huge part of it. Did you reject it at first? Yes.
0: Yes. uh, I said that if God could get me sober, he wouldn't have me drunk to begin with. And uh, there were just things. My brother had passed away when I was 14. He was 18 and he was killed by a drunk driver. And uh, amazingly enough that I end up, you know, being one of those on the road. I, I rejected the ideas of AA and that was for those 12 years. But when I finally surrendered and I got on that bus and I went to church and I, uh, I did everything that my counselor said. And at first it was, you know, the Holy Rollers and they're singing and they're, you know, swaying back and forth. And I said, oh, this is not me. Where do I go to get out of here? I can't do this. And uh, it that that slowly changed. You know, I opened I opened my heart. I was baptized um, about six months later. Then uh, that's. God has really gotten me through it. Natalie's gotten me through a lot, too. But, you know, that's after I've prayed <laughs> and God said, call Natalie."
1: <laughs> All right. Well, perfect transition. Let's talk about how you so you're at the homeless shelter and you're doing good, but you're still in a really hard spot. You've got the kids. Now, what's the transition from being in a homeless shelter, newly sober to Hopeful Solutions?
0: Uh, it, well, that was difficult. Also, it was very scary. Uh, it Why was, scary? well, the idea that I'm going to be on my own, uh, where it's, it's up to me to pay the light bill. You know, it's, it's still, we had, there's a lot of support, but it's still that feeling of I'm a grown woman, I'm a mother and, you know, I have to face these challenges. Mm. And so, um, it goes back to what Ms. Idle was saying about You know, when the girls, it's pride, there's a pride in asking for help. And you suddenly think I'm out in this big world by myself and I don't know anything because everything that I've known has been alcohol and revolved around alcohol. And now, you know, I'm starting in this new place and um, and there's a fear involved in now I'm in my own place. Nobody's going to know if I drink, you know, and that plays into, you know, the accountability. Sure. And, you know, it's it's starting over. There's, you know, people at treatment that are going to know if I'm drinking. There's people in the homeless shelter when I get back at the end of the day that are going to know if I'm drinking. And when I go back to my own apartment, who's going to know? You know, those those fears came. They were very difficult for me.
1: So you were looking for the accountability factor. That's what you wanted out of Hope Solutions?
0: Yes. Yeah. Not just the account. It was the accountability the Support, it was highly recommended. Um, it, one of the resources that was given to me at Nexus by my case manager, but it was it. There's a lot of it that was accountability. I mean, you know, it was, it's still, she's not going to come knocking on my door and check to see what I'm doing. So I knew that that's a but that's, that's important, thing.
1: right? That's good. You can't have that because that's just another fear. That's more of what you were talking about having a counselor or somebody at the homeless shelter checking on you. You really need to be able to do this on your own, but there's a safety net, let's say. Exactly. How long were you a part of Hopeful Solutions before you? Because you were saying that you were with it some, and then you went into the residential portion, correct? So explain your journey, I guess, is my question.
0: Okay, so um, after 63 days in treatment, uh, it was five months the waiting period, which I was in the homeless shelter and waited for the apartment to come available. Um, And then once it was, it was a pretty quick process. Once that came available um, and then the move in and, you know, everything happened very fast.
1: How does that feel getting out of a homeless shelter and into a place like this? Was that, explain that moment.
0: It was scary as well, but... It was empowering. I was back out in the world and it's me and my kids. It's, you know, we're on our own. It's a double-edged sword. It's very, very frightening, but yet it's empowering.
1: You've talked a lot about empowering and being able to do stuff on your own and not needing other people around. That's, That's a big thing for you. Is that a big thing for the organization?
0: Yes. Yes, one of the main things is the self-sufficiency, um, and we have to be empowered as women and mother mothers too, to be self-sufficient.
1: Is it discovering that power, or is it discovering that it was always there, you just didn't take a hold of it?
0: It's a little bit of both. You know, with as long, I started drinking when I was 14, uh, and so I never really found my own dependence, even when I thought that I was. You know, they were very brief moments of um, the independence in my life that uh, even as an adult, as a mother, um, you know, because my oldest is 18 now, it wasn't this. It's not the same as coming out of 28 years of drinking and finding yourself all over again, Uh, because every day I find something new about myself that I didn't know before. And I didn't know I was this strong um, of a woman, right? Sometimes I don't know where she came from. But.
1: Is it Truthfully, <laughs> is it shocking? It is. It really is. Are you surprised at where you are right now, or did you have this in the back of your mind?
0: I'm not completely surprised. I do look back and say, wow, I've been sober for over two and a half years, and I've stuck with a program, and when it was time to make the move that she was talking about from one apartment complex to the other— making that transition you know we didn't have to go and it was you can stay here you can take your voucher else you can do however and i wanted to stay and made that move over
1: we talked about that in the previous segment if you weren't listening the organization was in one apartment complex stuff happened you guys had to leave you're in a new place but there was a period of transition so you were at the old apartment complex and you made the move over to the new one. Right. During that time, you were in a place where you could kind of pick or choose what you wanted to do. Why did you decide to make the move with the organization instead of just going off on your own?
0: I just still felt like I needed that extra accountability and that support. Every, every day, I get a little bit stronger in myself and the confidence in myself. From here, when next year rolls around, hopefully at this time next year, I'll be living in a, a house built by Habitat for Humanity, um, working towards that as one of my goals. that has been a goal for a, a good year, I would say, mm. uh, when I realized that that was even a possibility for me. But it's a lot of rebuilding my credit, you know, going to the bank and saying, I'm 45 years old and my credit score is X and now what do I do, you know? Uh, is that the
1: worst part about cleaning up your life?
0: You go back to being a child again.
1: Even if you have good credit, it still is dealing with it is the worst. Good or bad credit, dealing with something like this, it sucks, right?
0: I wouldn't know what it was
1: like dealing with good credit, so
0: <laughs> I don't know if I can answer that. You don't that. <laughs> know.
1: This is just how it is. It
0: is. For me, for me, it is. And, and
1: that's probably something else that you learn in an organization like this. This is your reality. Deal with it.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Um, we created it and we're the ones to fix it. And it takes a village to raise a child. And that is true, um, especially in the situation with, you know, coming out of um, alcoholism and drug addiction.
1: Does it feel like a village? That was something that I did kind of want to talk about. The idea of you guys have a gated community now. You have your own little fiefdom what is it like to be in that environment? I love the idea of of like that area where you feel calm, where you close the door and you're like, these are my people. I'm all about the idea of safe space, like that I'm comfortable here. These people get me. I can be calm. Is that how would you describe Hopeful Solutions? Do you do you guys have a name for the apartment complex?
0: Um, Well, it's Highland Park Apartments, but our little Is there like area, a nickname for it? Do you guys community. have like a
1: name that you guys call it or anything like that?
0: No, I don't want to say what we would call <laughs> the the rest of the neighborhood. We in ourselves are a community gotcha. and it is our safe space. Uh, no matter what's going on outside of that gate, we stay safe inside. You're honestly. so diplomatic. I love it. It's, it's the truth, though. It's That's good. Um, yeah.
1: Who do you connect with in this community? Is it the people that work for Hopeful Solutions? Is it the people that are in the same situation you are?
0: It's probably the other mothers. Um, I do try to keep the mothers uh, active in the community with the children by doing parties and, uh, you know, things like that. When the kids, uh, when after last year's school year, which they blew it out of the water, both of them are like little mini geniuses to me. So I threw them a party just for that. And when we first moved into Hopeful Solutions, I threw a little, you know, welcome to the community party. Um, for my son's birthday, for my daughter's birthday, for um, Halloween, I love doing Halloween. I do it pretty big, um, you know. Just any any holiday, being able to get all the ladies together, throw the little blow up pool that I've got out in the in the courtyard, and you know we have a blast because the moms get to talk moms, and the kids get to be kids. So. It's really great. What do you that guys like great. to
1: party with? Is it ice cream? Is it cake? Are there things that you guys like to have?
0: Well, it's we're mostly not, we're it's, not sipping
1: cocktails at this party. No. So What do you guys? What do you guys like?
0: Um. Usually, it, we're doing hot dogs on the grill, okay. and um, I usually get cakes and cupcakes and. Um, all kinds of sweet goodies because that's, you know, we don't talk about ice cream around me because that's my favorite. Uh, and so uh, we're trying to cut back on that. So gotcha. We won't talk about that. Yeah, it's mostly, it's just getting, you know, goodies. And sometimes everybody can throw in, you know, I'll bring the chips or I'll bring the buns. And and that kind of gives them a reason that they need to be there because now they've committed to me that I'm bringing something. Mm. But it's important to keep everybody How is How has
1: your role changed? It sounds like you are now... Taking the responsibility for others that are in this community as opposed to just being there. It sounds like what you just described to me was you taking care of everybody else but yourself.
0: Now, I mean, I'm there for support and I can see when we need to come together. And um, I can see when we're starting to drift, you know, when the, the year get, it gets busy right now with back to school. So um, everybody's off focusing on other things and we need to regroup, you know, at that point. And my daughter just asked me if I was going to throw a back to school party. I said, are you crazy? <laughs> Not yet. Uh, but it's one of those, you know, we just sometimes we have to pull back in. And and be reminded that we're all in it together. But
1: that can't be something that you started with. It seems like something that would develop after believing in the program and the people around you. You kind of seem to be shrugging it off, but it does sound to me like you are the one that is pulling people together.
0: Um, I yeah, I guess I try to, but it's just a support. It's, you know, making sure that we're all supporting each other. And it's um. You know, I, just, I like to have fun. I like the kids to have fun. I like, to, the you know, the girls to.
1: What is your source of strength then in this? Where When you think about where you are and what you're doing and why you're doing it, what is that driving factor for you?
0: Um, well, it's my sobriety. It's um, God in my life. And it's just uh, it's knowing that uh, where I've come from and how I've struggled. And especially when we have newcomers, um, you know, just to say, hey, you know, my door's always open. But it, it really it it just comes from wanting to help other people and give back what I was freely given.
1: Do you and feel I like you promised. owe the people?
0: No, I don't owe them. I you feel, don't owe them? No, um, I don't think it's a debt to be paid, but I think that um, it is something to be shared.
1: Is this for your kids? Is this for you? Is this for the organization? Is it for everybody?
0: It's for everybody. I never really thought of it as being anything other than just the everyday, the everyday thing. Uh, so, I guess I never really thought about it. Really? That way, yeah, yeah. You're, you're, just... You keep
1: talking about. You've told me an unbelievable journey from where you were to where you are now, and the whole time it's peppering it with other people. It's talking about other people and what you're doing for them and why you're doing it for them. But you do seem to be kind of evading that.
0: I don't know. You know, it's once we made the move and had this gated area that I felt like we should utilize what we have because we were scattered everywhere. It was um, uh, it was harder to get us together as a community. And, uh, you know, it was Saturday meetings, but then everybody went off you know, all over the, the complex that was pretty widespread out. And so now that we've got this gated area.
1: This is what you've been looking for. Yes. This is it. This kind of real tight-knit group. This is what you've wanted. Yes. And now you finally have it. Yes. Does it feel good? What does it feel like? It's awesome.
0: It's it's incredible. It is. um I have several animals. And so uh, it's like having my own big, huge front yard. <laughs> um <laughs> I have a lot of animals, but um, it's just, it's, it's our own space as, you know, with all the girls, it's just, you know, walking around to the other side of the building, you know, those kids are out playing and, you know, the kids, everybody, everybody feels like they're at home, no matter what area of our little, our little community that we're in. So that, you know, we've got a large courtyard, a smaller courtyard, and then we've got another space that um, it's like a half of a courtyard. Okay. I'm in the big courtyard, and I would think that everything should happen in my courtyard. But unfortunately, you know, sometimes I have to go around the bend and peek around and say, hey, what are y'all doing? But uh, it's nice to be able to do that and not be afraid of, you know, what's going on outside of the gate.
1: Talk to me about what you're doing right now. I want to say that something was mentioned about, did you just graduate?
0: I just graduated in May with a second degree in social work.
1: What was your first degree in? Psychology. Psycho- so you have a degree, was you have a BA in psychology? Yes. And also one in social work?
0: Uh, it's just an associate's in social work. Oh, is that it? That's all. But I am, <laughs> but I will be going um to A&M Commerce in the spring semester right. and starting my master's in social work. Excellent. And Yes.
1: How exciting is that? It's
0: very exciting.
1: All right. So, what are you doing for for work then? Or Are you just focusing on school?
0: No, I work at Habitat for Humanity out in Garland at the Restore. Okay. And I love it. You know, it's another. It's a give back to the community. Um, I think social work has always been uh, what what I needed to be doing. Yeah. It's it's who I am. It's helping other people. So I absolutely love my job. I'll start working hopefully at Nexus sometime in the fall. Uh, I'm taking this little bit of a sabbatical because my son was recently diagnosed with sensory sensory processing disorder. Mm. Um, and so I have to advocate for him in the schools and um, making sure that everything we're, we're transferring schools so that they can be picked up by their daycare. And I'll be free to work, you know, a little bit more now that I am on my own. And so I just need to. To make sure that I'm the sole provider for my kids.
1: You like to stay busy is Very. what I hear. Yes. All I hear is you like to stay busy.
0: Over the top busy, unfortunately. Yes, I do that.
1: It's a good way to live. <laughs> it is. All right. I, I cannot thank you enough for stopping in today. It takes a lot for somebody to come in and be honest about their story, about who they are. And I cannot thank you enough for that. Janine Roberts is an advocate and a member of of Hopeful Solutions, their website, hopefulsolutionsdallas.org. If you're interested, you can also give them a call at 972-285-6848. Thank you very much for coming in today. I really appreciate it.
0: Thank you for having me. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours.